If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Hey, we'd make a good, uh, like a good boy band. We would. Yeah, like you'd come out and be like, what's up, girl? And then I'd be like, hey, girl. Yeah. You know how they always do that at the beginning of the song? And then Adam would be like, Ooh. Yeah. But it'd be more like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure how successful. That's right. I oh, forgot. Yeah. I, yeah. Forgot, that he, I forgot Adam can't sing yeah. at all. Yeah. I'm the guy. Record just, stops. He sings so bad. It sounds like he's he, just the guy in the back. That's pretty. And yeah. He just kind of moves. Yeah. You know, it, like, yeah but he can't dance either. What's, what do they call that? A fly boy or whatever. I just be like, what makes you think I can't dance? Motherfucker. He's the fly boy. You said it like 10, like 10 times on our show. That's me being humble, bro. <laughs> that's fair. I don't want any expectations. Yeah, you know what? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Dude. Fucking, He's over deliverer. I have I a fucking dancing machine. Dude. I have a feel. Don't <laughs> see if you lie on the podcast. Nah, not, someone's gonna see you in nah, person. I'm, I'm not trying to show off. Although I'm, I will say that I do need a couple of drinks. I mean, right. maybe you think you dance because you're hammered. Hmm. This could be. This could be true. That could also be it. Yeah. No. Hey, listen. Uh, the episode you're about to listen to, the interview you're about to listen to, awesome. Probably, Fire. probably awesome. one of my, if not my favorite interview. Uh, not to take away from any of the guests we've had on before, but this guy. Rarely do I talk to people that I, I want. I wish I had more a, time to listen. A pen and paper to take notes. Luckily, it's recorded, so I can listen to it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, you're going to hear us talking to Sean Stevenson, who's the author of a book called Sleep Smarter. And he's also the host of a podcast called Model Health Show. Now, a lot of his philosophies uh, mirror a lot of what you hear uh, us here on Mind Pump talk about, except he's uh, super, super smart. Um, he, he goes into depth uh, about sleep, which is something that uh, admittedly... He's uh, got an amazing story. Amazing yeah. story. 20 years old, getting dro- a bomb dropping on this guy. Just great information. Yeah. Uh, again, one of my favorite uh, interviews uh, that we've done. Uh, you're going to learn a lot, and he's very compelling. He's very, very good on podcasts. Obviously, he has, his, he has his own podcast. You can find him on the Model Health Show. You can check out his uh, website, sleepsmarterbook.com. And without further ado... Here is uh, Sean Stevenson. Tell us a little bit about your background, um, Sean. What, what got you into doing what you're doing now? Uh, um, you know, writing this book on sleep, and you know, having a uh, a health and wellness podcast. Sure, sure, yeah. So, I I definitely had no aspirations of being in the health and fitness field. Uh, it wasn't something that I, you know, when I'm a little kid, and I'm like, when I grow up, I want to, you know, I want to write a book. It wasn't like that. It was. Um, I I did go to school pre-med because I had this idea that I should be a doctor just because it's something that sounds good. Uh, but I hate, I literally hated science. I hated it. And it's so ironic because today I'm intimately, deeply in love with it. And it's because in school, it's the way that we're taught. You know, it's, mm. it was for me, I'm a very visceral person, very... Uh, passionate, and there was no connection. It, it was so abstract and outside of myself. All of this talk about cells and the periodic table of elements, it didn't, they didn't make it connect. Mm-hmm. All these well-meaning teachers connect with students on a visceral level. This is you. This is, this is how you can change your life. You know, that's what really, uh, when you talk about science, that's what it's really about. So um, I got out of that when I went to college uh, pretty quickly, uh, I think it was like midway through my second semester. I was like, I just can't take this anymore. And I uh, switched over to marketing. And that was because I saw Boomerang 
movie with Eddie Murphy and uh, <laughs> great, Martin great Lawrence, movie. and he was like in marketing. I was like, that looks good. I'll do that. So, <laughs> All right. Um, that's the story behind my chosen um, <laughs> my chosen field of, of uh, work. So, uh, but then fate fate had other plans for me. When I was twenty, I was diagnosed with this so-called incurable condition, this incurable bone and spine condition where uh, degenerative bone disease, degenerative disc disease. So basically uh, my mineral density, bone density was just, uh, it was it was very, very bad. It was very low to the degree my physician at the time said I had the spine of an 80-year-old person when I was 20. Wow. And that's not good, you know. So that correlates with loss of function, correlates with um, ex- extraordinary pain being 20 years old and trying to do 20 year old stuff. And your, your back is just co- constantly in this state of, it could break down any moment. And, um, so that was a pretty low point in my life, obviously getting that diagnosis and the fact that he said, there's nothing you could do about this is incurable. And, um, long story short, two and a half years went by, uh, with me buying into that. And one thing that I want people to walk away with for sure is the fact that I was smart enough at the time, even though I was not remotely close to me saying that I was smart, but I was smart enough to get a second and third opinion. So always, whenever you get that doomsday report, don't just listen to that person. They're a human. They're a person. Seek out other counsel. Talk to other people. And I did. I was smart enough to do that. And I actually saw four physicians total and um, top people in their field. And, but they did, uh, unfortunately, have the same story for me, same diagnosis, and there's nothing that could be done. Man, and so two and a half years go by. Oh, uh, sorry. I just said that must have been real tough once you get those second, third, fourth opinions. Oh, shit, especially same thing. 20 years old, too. I mean, talk about a bomb getting dropped on you that young. Mm-hmm. Exactly, man, exactly. And so at this point now, this two and a half years go by and, and going through this, and um, this is really when you hear that story over and over again, and at this point, I gained a bunch of weight. I was 50 pounds heavier. I was in this just debilitating pain to the degree I was on all these medications. I couldn't sleep at night because just even changed position, the, like a, this uh, sciatic pain. It's kind of like this lightning would shoot down my leg, and it obviously would wake me up. And so it was just suffering, man, suffering. Definitely, definitely I would say, you know, I don't like to throw the word around lightly, but that depression was definitely looming for me and just a loss of the sense of purpose and significance. And it was very embarrassing because of me being an athlete prior to this to, you know, I didn't even have my identity straight. And, um, I was, I I was scared. I was definitely, I was scared of even getting up and moving around and I was wearing a back brace and just very, very difficult time. But here's the thing. This is, this is the whole point of this is that when you hear that story over and over again, you get a decision to make. You know, are you going to buy wholeheartedly into that and just wither away, or are you going to do something about it? And so most of us, whether it's weight, trying to lose weight, trying to recover from an, a, a disease, trying to mend a relationship, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very fluffy and kind of flaccid in our approach, right? It's like, well, I'll try. I hope this works. I wish this would happen. I wish somebody would help me. It's very disempowering, and it puts the power outside of yourself. And you don't have any power outside of yourself. And so for me, the whole key and when everything changed for me after those um, couple of years was I actually made a decision within myself. And it sounds so subtle, but most of us never do that. When you make a real decision, 
you cut away the possibility of anything else but the thing you decide on. That's what a real decision is. The definition from the Latin gaming from Kaidir, which means to cut, you cut away all other decisions, all other possibilities. And for me, I made the decision to get well and to be the healthiest person on the planet. That was the goal. And so, and it, it doesn't come coupled with like a rub the magic lamp or, you know, like the clouds parted and some magic happened. It was, I'm a very analytical person. And so I put a plan together, you know, it wasn't going to happen on its own. And that plan entailed three things, got the nutrition component, movement, and improving my sleep quality. And that's kind of the secret sauce in my, uh, the transformation that happened, which everybody who knows about me, and of course, I'm, not, I'm assuming some people who even listen to your show might know about me, but people would check it out, of course, when they see me online. But I, I was able to, um, number one, first six weeks, I lost 28 pounds. I completely reversed the degeneration over a course of nine months when I got a scan done. So I lost three-fourths of an inch in my height due to degeneration. I gained half an inch back. Mm-hmm. So I literally grew when I wasn't supposed to. Uh, the juiciness in between the vertebrae and my spine, my spinal disc, um, came back. I retracted two herniated discs that happened as well, my L4 and L5S1 vertebrae. All this stuff happened in the course of nine months. All right. And so that was the birthing of my career. Since then, while I was in college, I shifted everything back to uh, biology and kinesiology, learning everything I could about health. But I, I'll tell you guys this, and we can talk more about this during the show, but I was wildly miseducated in school. Mm-hmm. I already had my perspective different, so I'm, I'm taking it for what it was worth in the classes. And so um, I graduated, I opened my own practice, clinical nutritionist, worked with thousands of patients over the years, um, even started while I was in school. I was working with my professors, with my clients, fellow students, and that was when I was 22 years old was, you know, and this is well, you know, this is 15 years I uh, have gone by and working in that every day with a very passionate approach because when somebody tells you that you can't do a thing, that something's incurable and you actually do turn that thing around and you cure that thing, or you do that thing. They say you can't do, you're in a very powerful position. So I have people coming to me that said, you know, I've stage four cancer. They said, I'm not going to make it. I have, um, you know, I've type two diabetes. I have a blood sugar over 400. I'm not supposed to be walking around and being able to see success with those people because I didn't give up on them. You know, it put me in a very powerful position. So, and that led to books and and the speaking events all over the place and uh the show you know the model health show very fortunate and grateful to say we've been the number one health podcast in the country number one in fitness nutrition dozens and dozens of times in on itunes and uh and here i am today with you guys so i i gotta ask you uh it's sleep is not one that a lot of people talk about what, what at what point um, did you realize that this was such an important piece? I mean, of course, nutrition, of course, working out. I mean, that's people know that, but a lot of people neglect to to realize how important sleep is in this whole. And what what drew you to that, and how did how did you come across it, or what made you start diving? Because you named those three things as far as yeah. the importance for you and going after that. How did, how did you know to do that? I know you were kind of going through schooling that way, but what really uh, inspired you to go that direction? Sure. Yeah. So personal experience firsthand, you know, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, you know, when I was able to recover my health, I just went to low-hanging fruit. With food, I simply started making my own food and getting better quality ingredients. I was just straight eating fast food every day. I was in college, you know, but your body requires raw materials in order to regenerate itself. It needs them, and I wasn't getting any of that stuff in. 
you know, like Sunny Delight doesn't have, um, <laughs> you know, polysaccharides and, you know, doesn't um, have shit really. Uh, so for bearing amino acids, yeah, it's just going to pull it out of you. So, um, but that was one component and also assimilation. This is why exercise is actually so important is assimilation and elimination. It helps you to assimilate nutrients. And I had studies to confirm that. I put that actually in the book, one of the kind of first studies I came across. And then the third component was the sleep. And what was so crazy is that over this, the course of this time when I was dealing with this issue, my sleep was so horrible. And here's the bottom line. One of the headlines from today is if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. You know, this is when your body actually has the greatest anabolic programs running. So these are anabolic, anabolism means building up growth, development, regeneration. Being awake is catabolic in and of itself. It doesn't matter if you're just sitting there watching Game of Thrones. You're, you're in a catabolic state. Your body's breaking down a little bit faster. And so if you're not getting ample time in that regeneration and recharge state, you're losing. You're literally losing. And so for me, I was number one, I was getting pseudo sleep because it was medicated sleep. So you're not naturally actually going through all of the stages. That's what really what my work has been about. It's not about sleeping more. It's about getting efficient sleep and cycling through your sleep, uh, sleep cycles properly because you can get eight or nine hours of straight up junk sleep and wake up feeling horrible and tired all day. And a lot of people do that. And so what I found was that things I was doing during the day paid off greater dividends when I laid down on my pillow at night. So another headline is a great night of sleep starts the moment you wake up in the morning. So me getting up and just moving again, getting exercise early in the day uh, was one of the catalysts. And so Appalachian State University did this study and they found that morning exercises, so when they put people in three different, three different phases to test this, 7 a.m., 1 p.m., 7 p.m., morning exercisers spend more time in deep anabolic sleep. They had more efficient sleep cycles. They tended to sleep longer and then a 25% greater drop in the blood pressure at night, which correlates with the activation of your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your, quote, rest and digest system. Hmm. Right? So I was doing this. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know about this study until 10 years later. Right? I did that. I was getting more sunlight, which uh, clinically proven, this is, you know, several studies that cited in Sleep Smarter, actually getting sunlight in the early part of the day lowers your cortisol at night. Right? I was getting more access to that. And I was eating more good sleep nutrients. And this is one of the things I'm really pressing into um, the major media and the public at large is that, you know, we have to also address our gut health, which is deeply connected to gut sleep brain connection. God, I love, so, love hearing you say that, man. Very, very few people talk about gut health. And it's one of the things that we touch a lot on. Yes. And that correlation to sleep is just mind blowing. Most of your melatonin, there's 400 times more melatonin in your gut than in your brain. All right. So that whole atmosphere and that microbiome matters a lot. And so I was unknowingly consuming all of these powerful, basically precursors to sleep-related hormones. You know, tryptophan, uh, potassium, uh, even there's melatonin in certain foods like cherries, for example. Um, so I'm consuming all these good sleep nutrients, and when I when I started to sleep. Um, so much better was a result of what I was doing while I was awake. And so now all of a sudden I'm getting great sleep. I'm going to bed earlier because I'm actually tired because I was doing stuff to, you know, for myself, which was a totally different concept versus playing, you know, Madden football all day. Um, so that's, that's really where I was at, man. And, um, that's phase one really quickly. Phase two was 
all of that just became in my blind spot because I was sleeping great all of those years working with other people. I didn't think about it. I didn't think to ask anybody about it. I knew how I felt when I didn't get great sleep and I didn't like it. So I just made sure that I did everything in my power to get great sleep. For my patients, it took all, it took about seven years before I started to ask people about their sleep quality. And it was because we might have had 80% success rate for helping people with hypertension and high blood pressure to get off of things like uh, statins and lisinopril, things like that. But there was 20% of people who didn't get the result. And they were doing the same thing as everybody else. What's the problem? And so I started to ask them about other things. I started to ask them about their stress, sleep, relationships, work, other things that matter for your health and who you are. And what it just, I could not believe. I had to like put my hand under my chin and I have my jaw drop on my desk. Mm. You know, I started hearing about people in their sleep habits who just like, what? How are you even alive? How are you sitting here? <laughs> well, you, you, and, know, um, you, you know, Sean, you said something really interesting uh, a few moments ago about pseudo sleep. And uh, I think this is a great example of how uh, Western medicine tends to approach uh, problems. So we, you know, we go to the doctor and we're like, God, I feel horrible because I, I'm getting bad sleep. And so what Western medicine does is it tries to get you to sleep more by treating your sleep when in reality it's more of a symptom of bad health, poor diet, lack of, act lack of activity, poor gut health, yeah. you know, emotional issues. And so my, my question is, uh, you know, good, good sleep uh, contributes to good health, and good health contributes to good sleep. So it almost it's you you yeah. can't you can't separate them at all. You know, it almost yeah. feels like right. I think we place all of the because although you're talking about sleep and it's not uh, the sexiest topic in fitness, um, I think uh, people just you know sometimes when they think of sleep they're like oh I just need to go to sleep. Yeah. And that'll make everything better. <laughs> when yeah. when it's it, all inversely related. When it t it looks like it's it tends to be uh, it, they're, they're related, you know, back and forth. Where uh, if I just get sleep, that's not really you know solving the situation. It's uh, many times it's a symptom of the real problem, which is my my poor health during the day. So and you, you right. know you made a real good point of pointing that out, and I just wanted to do it again. So that our listeners um, can make sense of it, because I know I have a lot of people who will talk to me and be like, you know, I get really bad sleep. You know, maybe if I, you know, take this herb or I try this, you know, supplement, and then I'll get better sleep and I'll feel so much better. When it's almost like they're just they're just treating the symptom, which is so indicative of of, of Western medicine. You know, we we you know, you got a headache, take a pill that makes the headache go away, but don't do anything that's uh, to to stop what's causing that headache in the first place. Well, you mentioned too, you you mentioned uh, Sean the cherries and stuff. What about things like uh, chamomile? Are you a fan of stuff like that? Yeah, you know, this is something <laughs> I, I felt it was a little bit like pulling my arm to do it, but. Um, in Sleep Smarter, so it's 21 strategies, and I I almost left out talking about supplementation because in my practice, that would be one of the first questions that a, a lot of people would ask. What can I take for? Right. What can I take for fat loss? What can I take for more energy? What can I take to improve my sleep? And it's still kind of that allopathic mindset of taking a pill for every ill, you know, taking a pill to try to cover a symptom, and I didn't like it. You know, so my approach was always food first, lifestyle first. Supplements can make maybe a 1% to 5% difference, but that can be valuable, but you have to have those other pieces dialed in. And so, but I did, and I started with 
things that have been used historically for a long time. All right, chamomile chamomile has been documented use for over two thousand years. All right, effective, clinically proven to be effective for things ranging from uh, improving uh, circulation, improving blood pressure, all the way to improving sleep quality and helping to activate that parasympathetic tone that we talked about earlier. So chamomile's a good one. There's valerian, there's uh, kava kava, things, and that's like the national drink of Fiji. They've been using that for thousands of years, you know, versus Ambien that was made at the laboratory like 10 years ago. You know, synthetic literally has no essence or connection with anything to do with um, human physiology. So it's basically, you're an experiment. Even if they've done clinical trials, which are clinical trials, if you look into it, it's pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up they even could put it out there in the market, but that's a whole, let's not get into the whole FDA thing. It's a whole conversation, but bottom line is Sean, feel free to talk shit, bro. It's okay. You're on the right show for that. (laughs) (laughs) We ruffle feathers all day. You guys already know, man. This is, it's really about, uh, lobbyists, it's really, you know, the whole story of follow the dollar, but um, there are a lot of very, very unsafe things on the market. If you look at, just if you just go to Dr. Google and look at how many drugs are pulled off of the market every month that were deemed safe, that straight killed people, I, I don't know if people know this, but, and again, just go to Dr. Google, check it out, iatrogenesis. Do you guys know about iatrogenesis? No. Okay, so iatrogenesis um, at one point was the third leading cause of death in our country. All right. But what the hell is it? Like iatra, what, where, what is this? Iatra means physician. Genesis means created. All right. So physician created death. So we're talking about, uh, poorly prescribed medications, unnecessary surgeries, um, medical accidents, things like that. Third leading cause of death at one point, like within the last 10 years. Right, but nobody's talking about that. And these are great. Listen, I have so many of my really, really good friends. Just yesterday, I was talking to one of them, like, you know, a large chunk of the day, Dr. Michael Bruce. Uh, he's a quote, America's sleep doctor and um, amazing friends of mine who are physicians. But I've got to tell you this, and they'll tell you, the, the real good ones will tell you. Number one, when you go to, when you go to college, you're taught uh, pharmacology, all right? That's the track. You're taught about disease and how to treat illnesses, treat symptoms. I'm sorry, treat symptoms with medication. All right. Very, very, very small percentage. We're talking about in the one to five range, just like with how much supplements work. Uh, one to five range of talking about lifestyle um, adjustments. All right. Mostly trained on surgery, pharmacology. All right. Now, with that said, with that approach, if those are your two weapons, what are you going to do when somebody comes to see you for a headache, you can, right? Or migraine? You got a hammer. Everything's a nail. Exactly. You're not going to be like, you know, you need to make sure that you're drinking plenty of water. You're getting adequate sunlight. How was your sleep quality? Plus the time constraints. You know, this is an undervalued market, even though people are like, and even me, when I was a kid and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor. It's like, oh, that's a nice six-figure salary, whatever. It's not really like that. A lot of, to make that type of money, most doctors have to work insane hours, all right? And that's a problem. That's a real big problem. Here's another thing that's not talked about with these really good people, because nine times out of ten, they're very altruistic, and they want to get into this field to help people. But the system has failed them, all right? 
So we're looking at a situation where, and I had the opportunity working at a university. I work with many pre-med students, many, many, many nurses over the years. And there was a physician study. This was published in The Lancet. This was a study on physicians, right? They actually monitored physicians. They had them to come in. They completed a task, right? They monitored their results. Sleep deprived them for just 24 hours, had them to complete the same task again. They made 20% more mistakes, and it took them 14% longer to do the same exact thing. Hmm. 24 hours is normal in the world of different physicians, depending on what their, uh, their specific field of, of, of uh, specialization is. And so I don't want that person making that mistake on me, that 20% great, or my, one of my family members, you know, they're sleep deprived. They're not able to take good care of themselves. Another thing is just to make that money that they, that they need, that they work so hard for, they also have to, um, I don't even, well, I just say sometimes they got to cut corners. You know, sometimes they got to cut corners, prescribe medication just so the person just, so they don't have to deal with it. Well, the system encourages you know, it. Yeah. System totally encourages the it. The system encourages it. I mean, when you're, you're a doctor, look, we work, I work in fitness and, I see a lot of people who've been to physical therapists, and physical therapists, uh, you know, the insurance covers them to get back range of motion, but not to bring them back to where they were before that, uh, you know, to get them back to strength within that range of motion. And so people come to me and they're like, oh, I had this surgery, I did all the physical therapy, and I watched their function, and it's mm. it's it's horrible. And uh, it's the system. The system encourages, um, you know, the, the doctors doing that. And like you said, you know, they're very altruistic by nature, but once you get in a system that... Oh yeah, tells you what to do and how to do it. And if you don't, uh, then you can't make a living. And, and you're, you're relying a lot on the technology too, which fails too. Which I, my wife's a nurse as well, and there's situations that occur where like a reading for glucose is too high, and you know unless they catch that, you know somebody's life is at stake. So you know yeah. they're applying you know medications for well, that. You get your eight to twelve weeks of therapy, and then your bottle of pills. See you later. Mm-hmm. I mean that's, that's that's yeah. I totally agree, man. And you know what? So even when I'm when I'm saying cutting corners, the main thing that pops up in my mind is the fact that instead of finding the right answer, they just don't because of time. They don't have the time to look into the latest research to actually understand uh, what's going on with the whole booming field of nutrigenomics and looking at how every molecule of food that you eat impacts your genetic expression. Nobody's talking about that stuff. You know, like, but to be able, if you're a true, you know, the word doctor, um, you know, I'm sorry, physician really means teacher, you know, the root of the word. And being somebody who has the time to instruct and to coach and to teach rather than just being somebody who is a dictator and just telling you what to do. The best physicians are part of your team. So what I want to encourage people to do, I didn't know we talk about this today, is to take back that ownership of your own body. You know, you're the first line of of everything. You know, not what else, not what somebody else outside of you says. They should be there to partner with you, not to tell you what to do. You know, and a lot of us, especially when you're hurting, you just want somebody to save you. You want somebody to tell you what to do, but you have to keep your wits about you because you can make a decision that haunts you for the rest of your life, or makes your life a whole lot shorter. Well, this is this is why we wanted you um, to yeah. be on our show because you're. You're, you're echoing a lot of uh, what we talk about, which um, unfortunately a lot of people, uh, you know, don't talk about, uh, especially in the industry of uh, you know medicine and then in fitness and health, which uh, fitness and health tends to be driven uh, by cosmetic and not so much, uh, you know, it's it's working out, right? It's not working in. 
um, that people yeah. don't that people you know talk about. Um, you know, there was a couple things um, that you brought up that I wanted to touch upon. You talked about things like chamomile and kava and valerian and how they've been used for thousands of years. And, you know, it reminds me of a, of a, a, a few other examples that uh, I encountered. You no, know, I have two children and, uh, you know, inevitably they'll get sick every once in a while and you bring them to the doctor and the doctor will then say something like, oh, you know, give them some, some, some honey and some warm water because that helps a cough. Now, here's what's interesting. It wasn't that long ago that doctors laughed at people giving honey for to help with a cough. They said that was, you know, that's baloney. There's no scientific evidence to prove it. Although people have been eating honey for thousands of years uh, to treat a cough. And now finally science is catching up and showing that there's something in honey that actually, you know, tells the brain to suppress cough a little bit. And, um, and it's interesting because this is, you see this with lots of, you know, traditional medicines and therapies. Another good example is fasting. Uh, it, it, probably 10, 15 years ago, uh, the, you know, the industry of uh, the you know, medical industry and the health industry laughed at fasting and said, no, fasting, there's no health benefits. It's baloney. That's, uh, you know, that's hippie stuff. And now science is starting to catch up a little bit. And so we are taught that anecdote isn't, uh, you know, isn't reliable and, and it isn't uh, in, a, in a lot of cases. But when you have thousands and thousands of years of culture and tradition um, and evidence uh, that, you know, this particular herb was consumed by the Chinese for 10,000 years to treat menstrual cramps. And although we don't have science yet supporting it, you know, that's 10,000 years. Um, and, you know, people aren't going to do things necessarily for that long um, and document it that much if there isn't something to support it. And not only that, but you look at thousands and thousands of years of use, um, you you start to figure out how safe something is and uh, how safe it may not be. Oh, versus our studies right now, which are done over six months, right? They give them a drug and say, oh, look, these guys were fine for six months. Well, yeah, what happens when you take that fucking drug for the next five years? What, how does it change your, or th- change your chemistry? You or know? 30 years. I mean, look at, look, at, uh, look at some of the things that we consume on a regular basis. I mean, they do studies on artificial sweeteners, and they're like, oh, you know, we tested these on animals and, and you know, humans for, you know, six months to a year, and... But I know people who drink, you know, one or two diet sodas every day for 20 years, you know, uh, or 30 years. Um, and then the other thing you touched upon were was uh, epigenetics and how um, we are taught that our genes are set, the way they are expressed or set, that we go to the doctor because we have a health problem and the doctor is going to say, well, you know, high blood pressure runs in your family, high cholesterol runs in your family, or, you know, oh, you know, uh, multiple sclerosis runs in your family. So we're just going to have to treat it with this medicine and not realizing that our lifestyle um, really impacts and we're and the evidence now is, is pretty, uh, pretty substantial, really impacts how our, how our genes are expressed. So just because you have the gene that says that you're pretty, you know, that you you might you have a higher chance of getting something doesn't mean you can influence it with your lifestyle to change it. And not only that, but there's some science showing how you live impacts your children. You know, like not right. even while you're pregnant, just what you did for the years before you got pregnant and how their genes may be expressed. So maybe maybe if you want to kind of go into epigenetics a little bit and some of the stuff that you've you found. Okay. Yeah. Sure. This is this is the most exciting. I mean. I remember watching uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's really the foremost expert, in my opinion, on epigenetics, as far as his communication to the public and making this well-known. Um, and people should check out Biology of Belief is his book. Uh, but I watched uh, a, a lecture that he gave, 
And I mean, I'm just like holding back tears and I'm not like, I, it's not that it's a big deal to, to not cry, but I don't really, it's, I don't, I'm not a cry or I'm not a cry person. It just doesn't, it doesn't really happen that often. But I was like holding back tears because of how, how amazing this life really is structured and how it just kind of hit me how we've lost touch with reality, you know, and the fact that all of these horrible things that so many people are experiencing and myself included in seeing so many just catastrophic things even happen in my family, you know, my, my grandmother, my grandfather who raised me, you know, I, I grew up with them and their household, you know, my grandfather having uh, three open heart surgeries, my grandmother um, dying from overdose on medication and you know these type of things you know just seeing this suffering that so many people are seeing they've it's they've bought into this idea that your genes you have a gene for something and you're predetermined to just have this happen and the reality is if you're not born with a true birth defect and we're talking about around two percent of the population you know less than that if you're not born with a true birth defect, you get here with essentially a pretty good cellular out, output or cellular makeup. And if you're not born with cancer, how does it happen later? How do I, I'm not, I didn't, I wasn't born with this. Why do I have cancer now? And the, the answer is right there within the words I said, something happened, something changed. And so there are, genes we all have genes for cancer programs we all have genes for diabetic programs we all have genes for obesity right for many of us though it's a variation you know my genetic predisposition was for degeneration of my bones and my spine all right my grandmother come to find out later i didn't even know this she had the same issue you know and that's my genetic predisposition. However, I have the opportunity because genes are essentially they're a, they're a blueprint. Right? It's a blueprint laid out for, okay, this is how things can be built. But the blueprint doesn't actually do anything. It's just a blueprint. Like if you go to somebody who's like building your house and look at the blueprint or whatever, and you're like, okay, um, architect, what is this blueprint doing? He's probably going to think you, you know, maybe had too much to drink and it's only like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what the hell are you drinking for right now? And so because the gene, the, the blueprint doesn't do anything. It's just a blueprint. It's instructions. It depends on who's reading the, is it getting read and is it being acted upon? That's what epigenetics looks at. Okay. So epigenetics is epi meaning above, like epidermis, above the dermis. It's above genetic control. So what's been discovered is that there are thousands and thousands of things that influence which genes are getting read and getting acted upon, right? Again, every molecule of food that you eat with nutrigenomics, every single molecule of food is having an impact on your genetic expression. So whether you're eating a bagel or eating a banana or you're eating some salmon, it's all going to influence what your genes are doing differently. This is why food matters. Not because we're going to be fat as hell or we're going to be skinny. It's because of what it's doing to your genes. Also, sleep. And so it was super fascinating. So I, I cited a study in Sleep Smarter, literally documenting the fact that sleep has been found to be a huge player and a huge epigenetic regulator. 
All right, so your sleep quality is, is determining which genes are getting expressed. Cut to, we talked about cancer earlier. The World Health Organization has said that um, sleep deprivation, in particular working shift work, so working overnight, has been found to be a class 2A carcinogen, right? So that means that working overnight causes cancer, right? Carcinogen means cancer-causing agent. That sounds totally ridiculous when you say it out loud. How can working the night shift cause cancer? It's the epigenetic trigger, right? So, again, that movement, exercise, stress, obviously is a huge player in that. You know, and you could have, you could be like, you know, I'm very stress-free. You know, I'm not stressed at my job. Most people think about work when it comes to stress. What about your relationship? What about your diet? What about exercise? Exercise is a stress. Are you doing the right kind of exercise for your body? No, amen. You know? So all of these things are epigenetic triggers, and um, we we all have immense power, immense power, regardless of what, oh, man, this is, it just, I didn't know we were going to get into this, but regardless of what <laughs> ridiculous ideas come out in the media about, oh, you've got this particular gene for breast cancer, we need to go ahead and cut, cut off your breasts, you know? And I've literally, I've seen this firsthand. One of my clients back in the day, one of my patients, um, I worked with her uh, very, very briefly. It was just actually um, uh, a consultation. She had a lot of issues, a lot of stuff going on, and she really came in for her mother. And her mother at this point had already had a double mastectomy and also, that's hard to talk about, and also um, radiation chemotherapy. She'd been through it. This is her fourth time getting cancer. All right, and now they're with me. It's just like, what can what can they do? It's just it's very very difficult situation because she was leaving here fast. Long story short, she was supposed she only had like um, I don't I don't remember exactly maybe it's thirty days to live or something in that ballpark. You know, six weeks or something like that. They were able, I'm not going to say it was me, but they were able to prolong her life, and she was here for another year and a half. Her daughter. <clears throat> They found that she had the gene for breast cancer and she had, you know, we lost touch. It was just kind of, you know, I gave them tools and, you know, they, they got some great results from it. And they, you know, told a lot of people about me, recommended, you know, a lot of people to follow my work and things like that. But we never talked about that thing. And she was so busy with her lifestyle, single mom, three kids. She didn't pay attention to everything she was uh, sending to her mom. She didn't pay attention to it. And so she ended up getting her breast removed because they found a gene for cancer. She didn't have cancer, perfectly healthy, beautiful woman. And because she was in fear, she had her breast removed. And here's the problem with that. Cause it sounds like, oh, that's a good idea. What you're doing, you're cutting away all those lymphatic glands, all right? These lymph nodes that are, these are the places, these are the hub, the training ground for your immune system, all right? Your, 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 uh, natural killer cells, white blood cells, and you start to lose those lymph nodes and this training ground for your immune system. Our immune system is what actually helps us every single day because we all produce cancer cells. Your immune system stays on top of it if it's working right and it goes and um, destroys those cells. You know, there's, there's programs and it goes and destroys cancer cells. You start to break down your immune system, which is what chemotherapy is as well. You know, it's destroying the person's immune system and, and, and cancer cells as well. It's very great. It's amazing at that. But it's just that it's going to see, can you last longer? Can you last longer 
than the cancer. And it's just not a great idea. You know, every tool, and this is what makes me different in my practice, everything is an option. But we should get to that way down the line. Way down the line. So, again, just wanted to share that. I've seen it firsthand in how people can make pretty tremendous decisions that affect their life for the rest of their life and oftentimes shorten their life. And also people being empowered and finding out this information and then getting a new connection with taking good care of themselves, that self-care, that self-love. Um, for Not for the sake of a six-pack, you know, six-pack abs or flat belly, but for the sake of you being you. That's a that's a very powerful message, uh, Sean. And, you know, you saying that uh, in terms of it's for you and not just for the six-pack and the looking better. And, you know, this is a message we talk about all the time. Um, it's funny because looking truly, truly being healthy uh, and well, the side effect is what I think people aim for. You know, the side effect is, oh, I'm not obese. Oh, I look, you know, good or I look attractive and I move well uh, and I feel well. But th- that's that's more of a side effect of being well and healthy versus you know just aiming for those. You know those cosmetic uh, cosmetic changes. Well, I just recently got into this. Funny, we we brought this up right now. I think it was just two days ago on Facebook. I did a post, and it was about uh, type two diabetes, and I was kind of talking shit about all the fitness professionals out there that take these pictures of them with their their abs, or they looked ripped, and they got a box of donuts or cake or ice mm-hmm. cream, and they're kind of. And I'm like, you know, if you had any idea what the message that you're fucking sending to our, our people right. that are, are battling obesity, that are battling this, you guys would never do this. It's like showing up to an AA meeting, drinking a beer, and you're there for a talk. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the stupidest thing you could ever do. Yet, it's extremely popular in our industry. So I was kind of talking shit about that. Well, I attracted some lady on there who responded... And she actually got really defensive and said, oh, I think anybody should eat Pop-Tarts or ice cream or whatever they want. I feel very uh, okay with my my image. And she turned it into this whole image thing, which I talked nothing about that. It was about health, you know. And I said, you know, and I, I looked at her page. And, of course, she was overweight, extremely overweight. And she had turned this into a cosmetic thing. And I said, you know. I think you misunderstood my message. I said, I'm not trying to shame anybody here about how they look. This isn't about how you look. It's about how you live your life and quality of life and health. And the message that these fitness people are sending is just uh, outrageous. And we kind of went back and forth until I kind of got that through to her. But it's crazy to me the way people think. And it's even crazier to me, the people that are leading this fitness industry that are out there that are, you know, showing the way a majority, very few people. You know, this is why we were so excited to have you on, Sean, is we, we I mean, we did our homework on you. We knew we, we knew what you stand for. We knew what you're out there talking about. And there's very few of you. There's very few of you that are addressing gut health, that are talking about sleep. They're talking about these all these unsexy topics that really fucking matter. Everybody wants to talk about six-pack abs and being able to have Pop-Tarts at the same time. And, That's what, and what pill to take and what's the newest supplement. And To me, it's blo- it's mind-blowing, but super it's super common, but it's extremely mind-blowing that people don't consider what they put in their mouth. They don't consider uh, their lifestyle. They don't consider the thoughts that they have in their mind. You know, people think that, that for some reason, that's not important. Like, you know, oh, I feel horrible. Maybe it's 
the things I think about. Maybe it's my attitude. Maybe it's the people uh, I let myself associate with. You know, maybe it's the food I eat. I mean, of course it's going to impact you. You eat food every single day. That food is, you know, I mean, if we really break it down, it's just chemical message, you know, message messages that your body interprets and then it, you know, it creates something from that. So to me, it's mind blowing that people don't consider that first that that's not the biggest impact that that you know that, that 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 will impact you more than almost anything else you possibly do in terms of how you feel chronic disease uh, anything you know uh, I I you know it's one of the oldest messages in, in medicine right let 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 food be thy medicine well he said something else that I thought was really powerful too which is man I was just talking to a lady the other day who was taking one of these super high intensity type circuit classes. And ironically, the people that are most attracted to those classes are the people that shouldn't be taking those classes. A lot of people, mm-hmm. and, and Sean, you just mentioned that, you know, knowing what exercise is right for you. A lot of type A personality, high stress people are also attracted to the fucking worst exercise for them. They want this high intensity, slam your body circuit type training when if the, those people should be doing fucking yoga, you know, those people should be yeah. meditating, walking, right? Walking, exactly. Focusing on neat. Those people should be doing things like that. But yet they're doing the a lot of people don't understand that they don't understand the importance of that and how that affects us hormonally, how it affects our sleep. All those things. So I think that's a really good point to elaborate on. The, uh, something that we deal with as trainers a lot. Now, Sean, question about sleep. Um, what is what have they found to be? Because I, I would assume that the way we sleep now is probably different uh, than the way we slept when we were, you know, for most of human civilization, I should say. You know, uh, what is the best way? What have they found the best way to sleep? Is it? Going to bed and getting eight hours, is it sleeping less and having a nap? Is it, you know, going to bed when the sun goes down and waking up right when it comes up? Are, have they, have they, are they starting to determine now really the, mo- the most ideal ways to sleep for health? Wow. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, this gets into conversation of we're all different, you know, slightly, slightly. We all still fall into the same realm where we, our genes expect us to have a natural, uh, light and dark cycle. All right, that's what really governs our hormones and everything about us. Your harm when we're talking about weight loss or uh, blood sugar or whatever the case may be, every your blood pressure, every your hormone secretion, your testosterone, your progesterone, everything is working on a hormonal clock. Your circadian timing every single second of the day, it's working on that clock in tune with nature, and is is the more that you get out of sync with what nature is doing the more you're going to see problems happen. And what's so fascinating today is that we can radically disrupt nature because thanks to uh, <laughs> thanks to our good friend Thomas Edison, things have, uh, and I'm not, you know, I, I love my iPhone. I love uh, my computer. I love having lights. What I think it's awesome, you know. But the movies, oh, come on, man. We're in the golden age. But every show is good. I get it. I get it. Netflix and chill is the phenomenon. <laughs> now, the reality, though, is like, what is this doing to our brains? What is this doing to our physiology? What is it doing to our hormones? Right. We've never had access to this stuff. And we'll just say that us having exposure to these things, to technology, is one page of the the, the biggest, uh, we'll just use um, uh, a dictionary. 
the thick size of a full dictionary. This is like half of a page in humanity that we have had technology like this, all right? All that other time, none of it, all right? When it gets dark outside, you seek shelter because you're not the top of the food chain, all right? That lion can see you at night. You can't see it, all right? It's hunting uh, right before the sun comes up and you're invited to breakfast, but not as a guest, all right? <laughs> we're not wired up for that. So we're, we're seeking shelter. We're making sure that we, um, this is the time for us to regenerate and for us to be up during the day. We're day creatures. And so this will be the time for us to hunt, to procure food, to build shelter, to, to, to tell stories, to commune, to have sex, to be around um, our tribe, right? This is how we're designed. So with that said, sleep back in the day would depend slightly on your chronotype still. All right, it's more prevalent today, though. This chronotype, this kind of biological rhythm that we all have, they're varied from person to person, where for some people, they are naturally going to just want to rise earlier. All right, Some people are going to want to stay up a little bit later, but it's still going to fall in that ballpark where everybody is getting to bed shortly thereafter it gets dark. Today, we can manufacture second daytime, basically. We don't, have to even, we don't have to acknowledge that it's nighttime. We don't have to acknowledge it. We can just totally ignore it. And your body doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. When you're surrounded, when you're in a room and it's midnight outside, and you're, uh, you've got all the lights on in your house, you're watching you know, um, House of Cards or whatever the case is, all of that information, especially that blue light spectrum, is sending signals to your brain. It's telling your brain that it's daytime. And your body's like, hey, I thought it was daytime or whatever. I got to produce more cortisol. And this is going to disrupt your whole circadian timing. And your ability, again, you're going to end up getting that junk sleep, that pseudo sleep. When you go to sleep, you might physiologically be passed out and unconscious for eight hours. But so Harvard researchers found that for every hour that you're on your tech device in the evening, it's correlated with a 30-minute suppression of melatonin oh shit right so even though because mo- a lot of people the last thing they do is you turn off your tech and then you go to sleep yep, yep. your melatonin is suppressed so you're not going to get your normal sleep cycles your natural anabolic and, and non-rim and non-rim sleep it's going to be broken it's going to be messed up and so you're not going to feel recovery when you wake up in the morning and you start the whole thing over again all right so another big thing in the media today is just talk about segmented sleep is what was uh, proposed to be something that we saw with early man. However, I'm sorry, the science is just not that sound. I'm sorry, it's just not. We do have that capacity, for sure. I think it's definitely something that was seen culturally, and there were, there were times when that was seen. So segmented sleep basically is uh, where you go to sleep for three to four hours, then you're up for maybe 30 minutes to an hour, and then you have a second sleep of three to four hours. Um. That could be healthy. That can be helpful for some people. However, this is the key. You have to go to bed early enough that you have time during the night to do that. You know? And also, I'm pretty sure that early man didn't get up, you know, 2,000 years ago for their first, you know, for waking up in between their segment of sleep, and they got on their iPhone. They didn't do that. You know? Just get up, maybe eat a little something, um, have sex, maybe um, do some meditation, thinking about you know, their life, what they want to do, prayer, that kind of thing. Today, it's a whole different ball game, you know, but um, having great 
uh, uninterrupted sleep is something that is really boiling down to a matter of having efficient hormone cycles. And of course, it's something I talk a lot about in Sleep Smarter. This is what it's really about. It's sleeping smarter, not necessarily sleeping more, but finding ways to get more efficient sleep cycles. I'm very, very glad you said uh, you made an emphasis on smarter because, uh, you know, when you look at studies of people who sleep the most, they've also got horrible health. But uh, I think people, um, you know, because mm. we're, we're not good at reading studies, right? We see the headline and we think, oh, uh, looks like if you sleep too much, you have bad health. But the reality is people with really bad health sometimes sleep all day, you know? Uh, they mm-hmm. also have, so I think it's important that, you know, that you emphasize the smarter part because just being knocked out doesn't necessarily mean you're getting well, the yeah. benefits of sleep. Plus we touched on that. He touched on that earlier. I mean, a majority of those people that are probably sleeping all day long are fucking super medicated, right? I mean, they're probably the reason why they're sleeping, they're in chronic pain and they're taking Vicodin all day long and all this other shit, to, you know, an ambient and you stuff. Know, I'm so. glad, I'm glad you said that, Adam. Here's a, here's a question that might hit, hit a little close to home. So what... Uh, what do you, because sleep is uh, a subject that you're very, very well versed in. What about the impact of uh, cannabis, marijuana on sleep? I know it, it helps a lot of people sleep. I know medicinally people use it for that. Um, does it uh, take away from the quality of sleep? Can it make, does it, is it something that you should use as a last resort to help you sleep? Uh, or is it a good thing? So this is this could be a whole show on its own, man. I know we're getting here to the close of the of the show, but <laughs> um, yeah. So what's what's so interesting is like being in clinical practice and being so um, progressive and looking at the opportunity to work with so many different patients and different things. Like I've worked with, man. I mean, everything from the the, the usual things that you see today, like diabetes, cancer, all. I mean, so many different forms of cancer all the way to rare things that you might not have even ever heard of, like Rocky Mountain fever. Like, what the hell is that? Is that a, that's a real thing, you know? And so I've had patients that have come in that are struggling because of their addiction to marijuana, their addiction to, um, to be able to help them to sleep. They cannot sleep without it. Mm. That's the problem area. That's, this is one of those things you have to be careful with. You have to be conscientious of. And, you know, this particular uh, guy who's an incredible student, uh, uh, summa cum laude, the whole thing. And he was getting by. If he didn't, if he didn't get high right before bed, he was getting maybe two to four hours of sleep. It's the only thing that could really, in his mind. So we had to do some uh, change in his neural association. We had to do quite a few things to, to free him up from that. You know, that was kind of like the only thing. He didn't like that it was controlling him. So we don't want that to be the thing. That's the, that's the first part. Second part is, yes, it's effective, all right? Um, we're looking at something potentially changing what's going on with your estrogen, estrogen receptors, uh, switch to your parasympathetic nervous system. For a lot of people, even in the process of smoking, they're finally taking a deep breath. But what a concept. You know, there's a lot of little hidden set of things, but um, the CBD is really getting a lot of publicity today and all of its um, medicinal effects and benefits. And I just encourage people to just do your research. Just do your research. Don't just go and do something because, you know, you might hear about it or think it's a good idea. Anything I talked about, please double-check me. You know, don't just listen to me. But I think it can definitely be something that can be added to uh, a lifestyle in acute situations, not something habitually done. I don't want to see that happen. But depending on any substance, 
But, you know, something in spot treatment or for short-term use here or there, I think it could be definitely effective. Well, uh, Sean, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, man. You great message, uh, amazing information. I think our yeah, listeners, we're gonna we're gonna need to have to do this at least another time or two for sure. I yeah, think. I think they're really gonna appreciate <laughs> some of the stuff that you've uh, you've communicated. So, uh, it's been great having you on. It's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Right on. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic, nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.